The Hornets live life without Mark Williams. How did they do this past weekend? And then we'll take a look at NBA teams that have traded the number one overall pick since the Carolina Panthers just traded up to go get the number one selection. We'll do all of that today on the Locked on Hornets podcast. We're locked on Hornets, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets. It's part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available anywhere you get your pods. That includes YouTube. And today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. If you don't know me by now, I'm Walker Mail. You can listen to me on WFNZ from 12 to 3 p.m. And that's Doug Branson. Find his Substack. Every Hornets box score on every Hornets box score.com. I can't quite make out the logo on the hat today. For those that are watching on YouTube, they'll be able to see it. Is that a final four logo? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, what's that? Uh, 1995 final four in Seattle hat that I picked up at a uh, thrift pop-up. Oh yeah. Those are the best finds. When you find something there at the antique or at the pop-up store, you're sporting it today, and we appreciate it. By the way, if anybody wants to go check out every Hornets box score, they will be checking out a couple of losses written by Doug without Mark Williams, no first-round pick. So, unfortunately, we don't get to see him play this weekend because of the sprained right thumb that he suffered just a few games back. And it's kind of tough, although Nick Richards, at least defensively, you've seen quite a few blocks from him. And so, even with the block numbers going up, though, Doug, on Saturday – I hosted the Hornets postgame show on WFNZ and Steve Clifford after the game had discussed how great their rim protection was. Just if, if we talk about life with, without Mark real quickly, I know we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but it was what Steve Clifford said immediately after the game that he had been happy with rim protection. And of course, Mark Williams had been playing here. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he said, even in this game against Cleveland, our room protection excuse me not cleveland against who do they play Uh, thank you utah Mm -hmm. against utah our rim protection was not very good and so nick had quite a few blocks in the last two games but he he doesn't like the rim protection even if nick had quite a few blocks and i think it kind of shows here's what steve clifford thinks about mark williams anchoring the defense and nick richards anchoring the defense and of course it all led to an 0-2 record for the hornets over the weekend well, it's because it's just not all about the block numbers. Right. I mean, as a t- it wasn't just Nick Richards. Kai Jones getting some backup center minutes, finally. Uh, we're getting a look at him at the position that he should be playing in the NBA. And both he uh, and Nick uh, racked up a ton of block shots against Utah. 14 total for the team. But that's not what protecting the rim is about. Protecting the rim is about is about talking, is about early, loud, and continuous talk in those pick-and-roll situations. Otherwise, you can block as many shots as you want, but if you're allowing Taylor Horton Tucker to score 37 points and getting free rim run after free rim run, then you're not really protecting the rim. Uh, so, you know, I, I think you have to dig down a little bit deeper than those box score numbers to figure out what was going mm-hmm. on in this game against Utah, and they lose it. And, and I thought they lost both of these games over the weekend 
on the margins. You know, 119-111 was your final score against Utah, 114-108 against Cleveland, and you led, you know, through three quarters, had a 16-point lead at one point against Cleveland. And yet, you know, against Cleveland, it was all about the offensive struggles, turning the basketball over too many times against Cleveland, especially in the fourth quarter when you knew Cleveland was going to make a run. They've got too much talent, even without Jared Allen. You know, they've, they've got too much shot-making talent to, to just let a game go like this this late in the season. And, and they came on and, and had a big run in the fourth quarter, and the Hornets coughed it up. Terry Rozier, eight turnovers. I know he's doing a lot. And, and he put the blame on himself, to be fair, after the game. But eight turnovers, way too many. Gordon Hayward also, you know, just careless handling of the basketball. It wasn't all just on Terry Rozier, but, but they're losing these games on the margins. Well, yeah, and, and even if you just want to go to this Cleveland game, too, you talk about some of the things that um, at least some of the things defensively the, protecting the rim right against Utah. You allowed 37 to Horton Tucker against Cleveland. The one thing there is that this team usually at least they have the ability to defend without fouling. That didn't happen against Evan Mobley. Six of 11 from the free throw line didn't hit a lot of them, but he did take 11. And then Darius Garland took 13. Yeah, two guys off the bench come in and have multiple free throw attempts. So you gave up 34 attempts to Cleveland. You yourself only had 22. And so that's something that also is a decent size difference there between Cleveland and Charlotte. What are some of the other observations that you had this weekend, Doug, as to why the Charlotte Hornets were not successful? Well, you mentioned it, fouling. I mean, Kai Jones fouls out six fouls in the game against Cleveland, biting on pump fakes by Mobley. Uh, We're finally getting a look at him at the backup center position, and I'm not sure it's been a totally great look for Kai Jones. It's better to me, though, right? Like, do you think it's better than power forward? I I think it's better, but, but again, it's not. You're right. Like, it's not like he's been amazing at that backup spot. Well, he's had a lot of big highlight plays, and that will happen when you're you're somebody that plays with his intensity level and, and you have those physical gifts that he has in terms of his wingspan. But it's it's all in decision making and IQ. It's the the awkward Euro steps that finally <laughs> they've amazingly not landed him a charge over the past couple of games when he when he rocks that Euro step that is it just needs a little bit more polish or maybe needs to just go away completely. But he finally gets a charge call, turns it over there. And and then the six fouls were all just fouls that, you know, slapping down stuff that you didn't need to do or biting on pump fakes and guys in the NBA, they're going to notice that they're going to sniff that out and they're going to attack you on that. And so Kai limits his ability to really have an impact on this game means more minutes for Nick Richards and really admit more, minutes being small against a team in Cleveland that you don't really want to be small against Cleveland. So Kai put them in a tough position, I think, late in the game, not being able to have him out there. Uh, But yeah, I mean, look, I want Kai Jones to be great. And and I think like you look at him and again, the way he plays and his physical gifts and you go, man, if this guy can put it all together, he could be a force for the Charlotte Hornets team. And they, they, they spent some capital to move up to get him in the first round a few seasons ago. So you want it to happen, but I think, you know, this is going to be a big offseason for Kai Jones because I think he's got to put it together this offseason because right now it's not looking great. No, it it doesn't. And this was always a risk with Kai. I mean, it was always, it was always a possibility that it would take two years for Kai Jones to cook. But again, it's taking two years or at least two years for Kai Jones to to cook. Let's go to the standings and, and check the standings before we move on to the next segment real quickly. You know, perhaps a tiny bit of fear that you would catch Orlando if you wanted to not win as many games as the Magic, which, look, I'm okay 
not having a 14% chance at this thing, I, I would not have been okay passing Orlando. I just didn't, did not see the benefit, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, Doug. They actually win um, a really tough game against Miami over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It was it was a brutal overtime win that they had. Jimmy Butler tied it at the end of regulation, and Orlando <laughs> gutted it out and found a way to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, get the victory. Um, so the the Orlando Magic just there are seven and a half games. Excuse me, there's seven games equal right there. Seven games ahead of the Charlotte Hornets right now. Fifteen games left to go. I mean, man. The, the magic would have to implode. The Hornets would have to go 500 with the roster as it is battling injuries, even still. And if the Hornets went seven and seven in their last 14 games, the magic, if they win two, they're fine. So yeah, like it, it's yeah. pretty cemented here, Doug. Yeah. Let me just, uh, on a day where you're going to hear a lot of news about uh panic in the economic system and bank runs and bank failures. I just want to ease listeners minds right now and say that as I look at the rest of the schedule, there are not seven wins. There is not going to be a run on wins for the Charlotte Hornets over the next uh, several uh, weeks. They've they've still got this game against Cleveland tomorrow. Then they've got a game against Philly, two games against Dallas, two games against Toronto, who who will be fiercely competing for seeding in the Eastern Conference. And then they end the season against Cleveland. I mean, I really, I sniff three wins the rest of the way. I think you can look at Houston. And then Indiana on March 20th, possibly. Yeah, and then I, I would say there's an upset somewhere, you know, against Oklahoma City, Chicago, something. Maybe, maybe four wins. I think uh, I think that's the ceiling for them. Because, look, they're, they are still playing hard. But I think this weekend is what I predicted. You know, when, when I think you were getting concerned about the win against New York and the win against Detroit, I was saying, look, you know, when they start to play better competition – New York was a little bit of a fluke, but when they start to play better competition, they're going to start losing these games at the margins. They're competing because they're working really hard, and they are buying into what Clifford wants them to do for the most part defensively. And but but you know ultimately they're going to do some of these things in the fourth quarter or whatever to give games away, and that's what you saw this weekend. A hundred percent. All right. So because they look pretty cemented in the standings. If if it all bears out to play exactly how the lottery odds say it will, then the Hornets will be picking number four overall, but perhaps they can move in the NBA draft. Coming up mm. next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. don't go to sleep on the hornets just yet you saw charlotte fc have the number one overall pick now the carolina panthers have traded up to go get the number one overall pick in exchange with the chicago bears could the charlotte hornets do that and if they did that if there's a possibility what does that history look like in the nba we'll discuss that in just a moment this episode is brought to you by prize picks and here's how it works you can pick two to six players if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And they offer projections on really any sport you watch. That includes the NBA, the NFL, 
MLB, PGA, college football, men's and women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis. I'm going to list them all today. MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket. All right, maybe not quite all of them, but there's plenty more, even with all those. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. You have safe and fast withdrawals, and they're currently operational in over 30 states and even Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 on promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, Prize Picks gives you 100. If you deposit 50, Prize Picks gives you 50. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on it sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 the number one overall nba trade history when we talk about that coming up next locked on hornets this is locked on hornets i'm a fantastic googler i'm bad at logging in if they were to do sort of a scouting report of of me and my ability to use the internet todd 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 yeah excellent googler not a very good guy that's logging in Very good at interrupting the host anytime he's trying to go on a rant. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. All right, Doug, before we get to the trade history when it comes to the number one overall pick in the NBA, I know you got a big old notebook. I know you're scribbling away, as Jerry V would call it, RIP, scribble, scribble, scribble. Can you tell us some of those scribbles in a lightning round scenario of your observations? Yeah, just a a couple of thoughts on Nick Richards and Dennis Smith Jr. First, Nick Richards, of course, filling in for Mark Williams. And, And I think he's doing, I think he's improved from the beginning of the season, especially on the physicality front. He is in there fighting with Walker Kessler, although Kessler got a thousand offensive rebounds. He is in, he was in there fighting against Mobley in this Cavaliers game. I think I think he's better. His back down game needs a lot of work. Like his post up possessions are ugly. Uh so that needs some work. And then also I think he is still, you know, he still needs that awareness piece. Like there there was a um, blob play against Cleveland where he gives up a three to Garland because he's just not paying attention. And then there were a few of those Kessler offensive rebounds that were just totally on him, not fully paying attention. I think he still still has some work to do before he cements himself into this rotation for next season. Moving on to Dennis Smith Jr., who actually got the start against Cleveland mm-hmm. uh, because Kelly Oubre Jr. was a late scratch for back discomfort. And I thought DSJ didn't shoot the ball well, probably fell in love with the shot a little too much, which may concern you if you're talking about him being a starter moving forward. Well, just jumpers, right? I mean, not even yeah. three-point shots, just inside the three-point arc. Only took one against Cleveland. Yeah, I, I thought just you know, maybe fell in love with his offense is the better way to put it at times. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, defensively, he was just such an impact. And I thought got them off to a great start in this game. The way they finished that first quarter was partly uh, due to Dennis Smith Jr., I think, getting some extended minutes with the starters. Uh, so he finished with 14, 8, and 7. I'd love to see him start more in the future. So those yeah. are my lightning round thoughts. Well, and, and two blocks against Utah, by the way, three steals against Cleveland. And and so at the end of the day, DSJ in 37 minutes of play against the Cavs ends with 14 points, eight rebounds and seven assists, three steals. It's just, you know, pretty, pretty uh, good box score for Dennis Smith Jr. And the last thing I'll say, PJ Washington, last 10 games due to shooting 48 percent 
43 percent from three um gordon hayward i I guess you're right about the ball handling in in cleveland only did have the one turnover compared to the eight for terry rogier but got back on track after you know having a couple of awful shooting days uh, for gordon so 16 points six of ten hit one of his two three-point field goals so those are some of my um late uh late observations and then if you wanted to go to makai luke real quickly nine points for makai luke (laughs) four of eight from the field he was good just give me a note yeah. Well, I think I think we can note that alongside something that people will be more interested in, which is Bryce McGowan. He is taking minutes away from Bryce, but he's earning those minutes against Bryce uh, because Bryce uh, is struggling right now. Uh, you can put him in the yeah, bucket with Kai Jones. Bryce and Kai are being forced uh, to get minutes right now, and, and I think people would, would want to see him get minutes. But at the same time, it's late in the season. I, I think there's a lot of talk about rookie wall. Against Cleveland, 0 for 2, 0 points. He also had four fouls, so both he and Kai Jones struggling. Look, they've committed to Bryce. They believe in Bryce. I believe in Bryce. But it's going to be a struggle the rest of the way. He needs a reset. He needs an offseason to kind of regain some of his offensive form. He's missing a lot of open shots. Uh, So you just got to be patient with Bryce. I I think he has all the tools necessary. He's shown flashes. but, But it's going to be a struggle the rest of the way. The, the last game and maybe last two games you can go to where it's like, oh, okay, awesome. Yeah, Bryce McGowan's is here. It, it was, I mean, San Antonio, he he only had three shots. He took nine of them, though. So I guess if you wanted to count that, he did have three assists. And then if you want to go to Boston, that's the one that really sticks out in my mind, right? Like if you just go to the game log, San Antonio, he'll have better numbers, I guess, even if the efficiency is not there. But Boston is the one I remember where it's, okay, yeah, he he really did do some nice things. Nine points on four of six shooting, had the five rebounds. Um, I think you saw him against Tatum in that game and did okay, and he even mm-hmm. talked about that mm-hmm. in the interview I had. So I think that's the last one in that game against Boston. That came on uh, February 10th, by the way, so a month ago. It's been a little bit since Bryce McGowan's has really you know popped off the screen, but still, second-round rookie getting time, no problem with it whatsoever. All right, speaking of rookies, I don't think the Charlotte Hornets, are. they're not going to finish with a 14% chance to get the number one overall pick. Looks pretty solid that they're going to get the 12.5% shot right there, the fourth best odds, to get Mm -hmm. the number one overall pick. But, Doug, the Carolina Panthers over the weekend, how about them? As soon as our show ended, it was like I think it was an hour and a half after Wesson Walker was done on WFNZ, and the Carolina Panthers traded for the first overall pick. They got rid of number nine this year, 61 this year. They got rid of the next year's 2024 first round pick and DJ Moore. That's tough to tough to see go, but this is not a Panthers podcast. Listen to Julian council. Talk all about that on locked on Panthers. Um, the Charlotte Hornets and in the NBA, just in general, if the Hornets don't get the first overall pick, that means the Hornets will absolutely not be selecting number one overall, even if they want to give up everything in the world to go trade up and get this guy. You know, one, it's Victor Wembanyama, a generational prospect. People are saying that he has the highest value since LeBron James. So nobody is going to be dealing Victor Wembanyama with any kind of trade offer. Like, it's just, you just can't see it happening. But if you go back to the history, the last time it happened, it was 2017 where you saw Philadelphia trade up to go get Markel Fultz and Boston was comfortable enough with Jason Tatum that they traded all the way back to three, (laughs) selected him okay, and now he's an MVP candidate. Um, You go back before that, it was Andrew Wiggins where LeBron had just gone back to Cleveland. 
they traded the number one overall pick that was going to be Andrew Wiggins for sure. They traded Andrew, the number one overall pick, to Minnesota in order to get Kevin Love because LeBron was star hungry. And so those are the last two examples. But, Doug, you agree. There's just no way it could happen with Charlotte. And even in this uh, recent history, it's not like the history bears out all that well for the team that trades up for the number one overall pick. No, I agree. I think Victor Wembanyama is a generational talent. No one's going to be willing to give that player up. Uh, and I think Scoot Henderson uh, is somebody at number two, possibly, that uh, people are going to view as a number one pick, number one overall pick in any other draft. So, you know, I think there's going to be some chatter about Brandon Miller possibly moving up to two, but I ultimately think it's going to be Scoot at two. I don't think anyone's going to move out of two. So I think the best you could hope for is maybe if you really fell in love with Brandon Miller or Amin Thompson and you wanted to ensure that you got that player, you know, maybe there's some situation where you would want to give up something and move up one spot to three if you landed at four. Uh, or, you know, if you fell back to five or six and wanted to move up, you know, there, there could be some justification for that in this draft because there are, there are uh, uh, you know, a few options there, three through six, that are really enticing. And so if you fell in love with a particular player – but yeah, if you look back over history, I mean, he was, uh, you mentioned Wiggins in 14, Fultz in 17, Chris Weber in 93. Uh, the Golden State Warriors had to give up a lot to get uh, Chris Weber. They traded away their third overall mm -hmm. pick, which ended up being Penny Hardaway, and three future first rounders. Uh, was rookie of the year that season, but obviously uh, did not finish as a Golden State <laughs> Hall of Famer. Uh, Brad Doherty in 86, Joe Barry Carroll in 1980. Then you have to go all the way back from 80 to 1957. Hot Rod Hunley, great hmm. name. <laughs> First overall out of West Virginia in 1957, drafted by the Rochester Royals. Uh, after that, Chuck Shore in 1950. So it doesn't happen very often. And when it does, it hasn't uh, really yielded great results. And that makes sense, right? Because no one's going to trade the number one overall pick unless – there are some question marks. Well, and and the only the only time there really wasn't a question mark because Chris Weber was freaking awesome at Michigan and he was insane in high school, but Orlando had the number one overall pick and they already had what they felt was their big guy, then we're going to take Chris Weber and put him alongside. Yeah. It made more sense positionally to get Anthony Hardaway and we've seen, you know, the documentaries a couple times. We've seen Shaq talk about it quite a bit where as soon as they worked out together, you know, Shaq was like, yeah, give me Penny. Eventually that happened. So 1993, it doesn't happen again until 2014. 2017, it hasn't happened since. So, yeah, it's very rare to see that Sorry. sort of thing happen. Sorry, Hornets fans. Uh, we hate to, like, pop the bubble, you know, in the dream. Uh, we'll but, just have to get it in the lottery. That's that's just what we'll have to do. Yeah, because look, you don't want honestly, you don't want to give up all of those future first rounders to move up. Because uh, no. yeah, I think it would take, you know, even even if you get Victor, Victor is as much of a guarantee as you could get in any kind of draft. Okay, mm -hmm. but that's still not one hundred percent right. Victor, if you look, he's got some injury history. I mean, there are, I, I think. Not, I won't say legitimate concerns because I feel like that makes it seem like a risk, and I don't think it's that much of a risk to take Victor Wembanyama. But there, but concerns exist, and so you don't want to end up giving four or five, however many first rounders your, your entire future to get yeah. Victor Wembanyama. I don't, I don't, I don't think that that would be something that you'd want to do. 
Well, it's it's all about the health of <laughs> that was. You seem really confident. I don't. I'm not. Maybe. I'm not because Victor's so tasty. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm. I'm saying. I. You know. I would be. I would be really hesitant to do it. I, I would. I would hate it and also love it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly how I would feel. But it, it's almost like I, I remember a conversation being had about Pat Mahomes, and we know how insane Pat Mahomes is. If a team offered you. 10 first round draft picks. Okay. But you are, but, and, and you had to give up Pat Mahomes for 10 first round picks. Are you doing it? Because, because you, you got the cheat code. You have what might be the best quarterback of all time when it's said and done, who looks the part where Tom Brady, if you want to argue he's the greatest, totally fine. But Pat Mahomes looks the part and he's winning and he's putting up the stats. Like by any measure, he's the best of all time. So when you're talking about Wimby, who has not accomplished as much as Pat, but you get the idea, the generational thing here. If if you get offered or, you know, yeah, like four first rounders, whatever the max is that you can go with, you're not doing it. I, I'm not yeah. saying I don't know if the Hornets should. I'm saying the Hornets can't. <laughs> like they yeah. don't have the ability to because that team at number one is is not going to accept whatever you throw at them. Right. It's so, going to be tough. Sorry. Sorry, Hornets. Yeah. <laughs> So let's just get it. Let's just get the number one overall pick. And it's all right. All totally let's do fine. it. Okay, fine. All right. all right. Let's talk about the uh, the coaching staff coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Could Steve Clifford go after an old friend that used to coach on the staff? His first stint here with the Charlotte Hornets. We'll get to that in just a moment. But this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. The Built March Madness Bracket. It's here. We know you have a favorite bar or favorite Built Bar puff. And now's your time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. When you vote for your favorite bar or your favorite puff, you will be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of Bill Bar. Not only that, but one locked on fan will win a 12 month subscription to Bill to have Bill's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You got to try Bill. Bill is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they're amazing. You don't uh, don't quite understand how they're good for you, but they are covered in 100% chocolate. <laughs> they're yeah, it's amazing. They're low in it calories. Clearly, has you flummoxed. Yeah, thank you. Um, I do appreciate it when you point that out. Low in calories. They are high in protein, though. So that's that's one way that they're really good for you. Run to builtmarchmadness.com right now to vote your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in and support your favorite built bar on uh, built.com and going to their March Madness uh, page on that website. One more segment to go. Coming up next, Locked on Hornets. Is Locked on Hornets. Walker, sometimes you don't have to have the best package. Okay. Sometimes you just have to have the only package. If you wait, or this is uh, if my dating life uh, taught me anything, sometimes you just have to wait around long enough until you're the only thing remaining. And then suddenly... You look pretty great in comparison. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Doug, so some interesting college basketball news. Lots of interesting college basketball news over the weekend with the conference tourneys finishing up. March Madness, it is here with Selection Sunday having passed. Unfortunately, though, going to Georgetown, the Hoyas did not make the tournament, and it was because of another unsuccessful season under Pat Ewing being their head coach. We know about Pat Ewing because he was here 
in uh, the Hornets organization as an assistant coach for Steve Clifford the mm -hmm. first go around. It was here for quite a while. He was awesome to listen to when you would hear him talk, just kind of roaming the halls of the Spectrum Center. He and Steve do have a close relationship. And so that's led to some questions about whether he would be on board to join the Charlotte Hornets coaching staff again and whether Steve Clifford might go after one Patrick Ewing. What do you think about Ewing possibly coming back to the Charlotte Hornets? I think it's very much a possibility. It's always tough when you take the head your first head coaching opportunity is with you know a AAA franchise like Georgetown and it's your former franchise that you played for that you're a legend of cuz like where do you go from there right after you get fired you're not going to level up uh you're probably you're not going to get an NBA gig after that so if you wanted to continue head coaching you would probably have to take a step down would Patrick Ewan really be willing to do that would his pride allow him to do that to to continue to pursue being a head coach at the college level or would he like to come back to the comfortable confines of Charlotte to coach under Steve Clifford? I think it'd be a very real possibility uh, because Ewing was uh, not only an assistant, he was an associate head coach. You know, I mean, a, a lot of trust there between Steve Clifford and Patrick Ewing. Uh, so, so I think it's a very real possibility. Also, it would represent if, if they did bring Ewing back, this is going to sound strange because Patrick Ewing uh, is a little up there in age, obviously, uh, but it would be an injection of youth <laughs> into this bench uh, because a lot of his uh, assistant coaches right now, Clifford's, are uh, are definitely getting up there. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see it happening. Yeah, Pat, Pat Ewing was here. So he was here the, the last year of the Bobcats and then three years, the first three years of the Charlotte Hornets run. So he's here for four seasons total. I actually spent six seasons with Georgetown, believe it or not. Kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, got, well, he got a long. shot. I mean, got got a good shot, yeah. and he got a great. I do have the sound here. One of <laughs> a great sound bite. I don't know if the, I think this sure. happened like in his first year. Have you ever shot that shot? <laughs> Just berating a player on the sideline. Have you ever but but also like respectfully, like when have you worked on that shot? Like, do you shoot that? <laughs> it, it wasn't like he's not just you know. You know, grabbing him or anything like that, no, where no. you see head coaches go crazy. But it was Pat Ewing just saying, hey, yeah, when do you shoot that shot? When do you work on that shot in practice? And yeah, well, and, and I saw Nada tweet out too, you know, maybe Ewing would not come back because of Tyrone Corbin's presence on this team, former NBA player, center, working with big guys. You know, but also, you know, things happen where you see turnover. Maybe Corbin would go to a different team. Maybe he would stay here and you'd bring on Ewing in some kind of role anyway. So I think there yeah. would be enough room. Um, but still, because Corbin. Ewing was more than a big. That's the thing. Like Ewing was more than a big coach. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't. It wasn't right. just about his influence on the bigs here in Charlotte. It, it was about, I think, more than that for Steve Clifford. Clifford was hu a huge advocate for Patrick Ewing to get a shot to yeah. be a head coach. I, I I think he was advocating for him to be a head coach or get an opportunity in the NBA. That's that's what it was. Yeah. So and, so I think if you're Ewing and look at and obviously it's got to be both ways like Clifford would want to have this happen, too. But if you're Ewing, you know, come back uh, the Hornets, you you may be able to coach Victor Wibanyama and, and and use that as a springboard to maybe get an opportunity in the NBA as opposed to going to college. Yeah. Last thing I'll say, too, is just talking about the assistant coaching staff. I talked with Jay Hernandez on Friday, and that was an interesting conversation, too, because, you know, Doug, when we had the Kenny Atkinson drama 
one of the one of the things reported was the fact that the Charlotte Hornets wanted to keep the assistant staff in place and or at least some members, not all of them, but some of the members in place. And that's problematic because if you hire a head coach, you should allow the head coach to pick what what members of the staff that they that they want to have on their staff right but it doesn't say it doesn't mean that some of these guys weren't good i think jay hernandez has long been lauded for his relationship with kimba walker remember the basketball dribbling drill before games that they would do where they would go between their legs and uh they would it was very intricate and they it was awesome to see it was like harlem globetrotter stuff and so kimba walker credits jay hernandez a lot with his development and so i, I was talking a lot with jay and his development um, his working with LaMelo ball. And it's mm-hmm. interesting too, just because also the shot was so bad from LaMelo, at least the mechanics of it, except that it's not bad at all. He's actually a really good shooter in the NBA. And so I asked him about with Kimba fixing his shot. Was there any thought to adjusting LaMelo's jump shot at all coming into the NBA? Because it's, it, it's wonky, man. Like Kimba had better form, but wasn't shooting nearly as well. And so was there any thought to changing LaMelo's form, even if the shot is going in? He's like, look, no, there's just no way we're going to be messing with it. He can shoot however he wants to. He can still get the shot off over taller guys. He can still get the shot off very quickly. Like everything, it functional, right? From a functional sense of, okay, this is why we shoot here because you want better balance, because you want better follow through. You want more control. You want to get the shot off over taller defenders. And you don't want to give that time for the defender to react. You know, he's doing it, even if it doesn't look the way that we usually construct jump shots. So we're just going to leave that alone. And so I thought that was it's just it was an interesting convo to have with Jay Hernandez developing the backcourt LaMelo and also sticking around during a time of uncertainty because the Hornets organization wanted Jay, I guess, Nick Friedman, too. You know, he was a holdover. And so you're talking about some holdovers from the previous Borrego staff sticking here with Steve Clifford. Just kind of interesting how much the organization would have some control over Ewing coming back. He's got a good relationship with MJ, but that's another thing to uh, kind of think about. Well, and Clifford's already sort of subtly complained about the size of coaching staffs in the NBA in general, and I think it was Mm -hmm. a little bit of a dig at how many of these coaches he had to retain while bringing on his own (laughs) staff. So, yeah, I mean, I think if Ewing comes on, it would be part of a little bit of a shuffle rather than an addition to make this staff even bigger. And plus, you know, the organization might not be willing uh, to shell out any more money for any more assistance to add. Because I think, you know, if you look at that situation that you mentioned, keeping those coaches cynically, you could look at that as well. The Hornets are already paying James Borrego to be on NBA TV and talk about basketball. They didn't want to pay any other assistance to not do anything. Uh, I, but I think if you wanted to take a little bit more charitable view, you could say, well, some of these guys were working with young players. And, you you know, with young players, you want coaching stability. You want some semblance of coaching stability. And, and you know, keeping those uh, Friedmans and Hernandezes provides them with that. On the shooting front, look, there are going to be a lot of players that the Hornets have an option to draft if they're sitting at three, four, five, or six. A lot of these players have some shooting concerns. So having Kreitzer, having Hernandez, yeah. guys that have experience with shot doctoring, because that's a that's a risky thing, Walker. Because once you press that button, you can't unpress it. Once you start tinkering, you've got you've got two ways that it's going to go. It's either going to go super well, or you've just ruined a player's career. Well, so the, you know that's right. It's intense. Which is, 
which is why they don't do it with LaMelo. But with Kimba, you right. can only go up. And so that's the time. And that actually comforts me a little bit that they're mm -hmm. making the right decision on when to pull that trigger and when yeah. not to. So with LaMelo, the shot's wonky, but he's hitting them. So don't mess with it. Okay, easy enough. With Kimba, he really had a lot to, you know, had a lot to work on. And that's under Steve Clifford. It's a long time ago, right? So understandable there. But still, Kimba, there's the, the famous story. Zach Lowe had that write-up on ESPN his last year here in Charlotte where Kimba goes into the office of Steve Clifford, says, man, it's just not working. He's at peak frustration. And Clifford said, okay, if you want to be a middling point guard in the NBA, fine. Go ahead and stick with it. And then Kimba, um, you know, stick with your old jump shot. But Kimba moved on and eventually became a, a good three-point shooter. So, you know, there's some good things to have with this staff. And uh, we're still kind of sour on the MKG jump shot thing. Like, that never came around. And I think Charlotte fans don't want a high draft pick that just has zero shot at shooting anymore. I think that's a very real thing as far as buyer's remorse for Charlotte in that regard. Yeah, the final thought is that, you know, this conversation about could they bring in Patrick Ewing, I think both you and I are assuming through this conversation that Steve Clifford will be retained, right. which isn't a given because his contract is set up such that if the organization did want to move on, they could. But I think Steve Clifford has gotten – I know what the win total is, and I know this league is about wins and losses, but I think he's absolutely taken the – dirty wash rag and wrung as many wins as he could out of this out of this uh set of players that he's been given with so many injuries that I think you would feel confident especially as an organization if you feel like you're going to be adding talent through the draft and through Miles Bridges potentially that then I think it, it would probably be a good idea to stick with Steve Clifford at least for another season and give him a fair shake. Because I think if you let go of Steve Clifford after what's happened this season, I don't put it past this organization, but I think a lot of people would look at that and go, wow, Clifford, Borrego got a raw deal, and now Clifford getting a raw deal, not giving him an opportunity, I think would look really bad uh, among some head coaches. You've already had trouble hiring and, and keeping one head coach. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think it would, it would be a difficult look. So I, I expect them to retain him. All right, thanks for making Lockdown Hornets your first listen today. Now make your second listen game-to-game -game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Lockdown game-to-game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. Follow game-to-game -game on Lockdown NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow.